I won't survive the holidays. When you title a series like that, you get some questions. Uh, Man, that's not very encouraging, Pastor Troy. That's not very cheerful. There's so many other directions we could go this time of year to build people up. So you start to get a little bit of a pushback, and I understand why, but we titled it that way for a couple of reasons. One is it kind of creates a natural tension of, okay, what's really going to happen? Where are we really going here? And sometimes that's good. But really, we wanted to title it that because at this time of year, we see so much stress, so much drama, so much that, that kind of comes. Uh, there's just so many extremes. And we see extreme joy, extreme giving, extreme kindness. We see some really positive extremes, but we also see a lot of other extremes as well. And, and we see families where maybe you're going to a Christmas celebration and there's an empty seat where somebody that you really love used to sit. Or there's a child who's getting passed back and forth between this parent and that parent. And everybody used to be able to do Christmas together, but now they're split apart. And there's this tension. And all of it kind of adds up to this sense of desperation. And so what we want to do is we want to take This season over the next three weeks and that sense of desperation that so many of us get at this time of the year that, man, I just I can't survive the holidays. I won't survive the holidays. And we want to turn that into a declaration that I won't just survive the holidays, but with God's help, with God's strength, I can thrive and be used by him in the midst of this season. And that's our goal for you. And so I really believe that this is going to help you the next three weeks. I really believe that God's going to do something for you, for each family represented here the next few weeks. So turn to somebody and say, this is going to help you. It's going to be awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, some different stories from Scripture. In fact, today you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. And in each story we find in Scripture, we're going to build a declaration out of that story related to specifically this time of year. And these declarations are going to be things that, that if we really allow God to imprint them on our heart, they're going to carry us through, not just to survive the holidays, but to thrive in the holidays. So in Luke chapter 10, we find a story that's probably pretty familiar if you've been around church for a very long length of time. It's not one that we normally think of as a Christmas story. Yet I think there's no more appropriate example in Scripture of what so many of you and myself are going to experience over the next few weeks, of what we're going to go through. And I think you're going to see the application very directly out of this passage. So in Luke chapter 10, we find Jesus on his way to see some friends. It says, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So if you're taking notes today, and I I want you to take notes today, I want you to get out your pen and be ready to put down, if nothing else, to put down our first declaration. This is going to be our foundation for today's message, and and really, I believe, a foundation for you as you go through 
the next few weeks. And so normally as we do a point, we're going to put it on the screen with us. We're not going to put it on the screen just yet. We'll put it on the screen in a minute, but I want you to kind of help me with it. So you're going to repeat after me. I'm going to give you part of our declaration. You'll repeat it, and then I'll finish it up, and hopefully that will help us to get it down in our hearts before we even write it down. So here's our first declaration, our first I won't survive the holidays declaration, and that's this. I won't get caught. All right, let's try it again. And actually, I said it wrong because I won't get lost. So, I won't get lost, won't get lost. In, lesser in lesser things. I will make the most of Jesus. So, now we can put it on the screen so everybody can put it together and write it down. I won't get lost in lesser things. I will make the most of Jesus. This is the great declaration for us to make this morning, for us to burn onto our hearts. In this passage, we discover... Two characters. Now, actually, there's one main character in, in this passage. That main character is Jesus. Jesus is the main character everywhere. Every page, every verse, every part of Scripture points to him, whether it's the measurements in the tabernacle or it's a story specifically about Jesus. It all connects back to him. It all brings back to him. But in this story, we find two supporting actresses. And these supporting actresses are sisters, and their names are Mary and Martha. And we discover one of these sisters is a little stressed out. Uh, And so I wonder, as we go into this passage, which of these sisters you might relate to more? We've got Martha, who's, who's frustrated. She's flustered that her sister isn't doing enough. And then we've got Mary, who's kind of the laid back, relaxed, kind of caught in the moment, enjoying what's coming her direction. So how many of you would say, I relate more to Mary? I'm just kind of go with the flow, get caught in the moment. A few of you. How many of you say, I relate more to Martha? Uh, I get stressed. I get caught up in the distractions and the preparations. Okay, most of us would say we relate more to Martha. Personally, I see myself in both of them. I think by my nature, I'm more on the the laid-back variety. I can really get caught in the moment and embrace the moment. And yet, as I get older and I take on more and more responsibility, more and more Martha comes out of me. Uh, I discovered discovered Martha in me this morning, and I'm preaching about this. And I saw a couple different situations this morning. I'll tell you about one of them a little bit later on. But we see uh, these, these two characters kind of embracing two different philosophies as Jesus is here. And one of them, it says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You know, sometimes I feel like that could almost be my life verse. Like I would want Philippians 2, 4. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 are actually our family verse that we've decided, hey, this is what we're going to base our family on. This is our vision verse for our family that uh, declares that, I will do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility I will consider others greater than myself. Uh, and we've, we've embraced that for us, and we want that to be our verse. And yet a lot of times I see this, that, hey, I'm distracted by the preparations. And that's really kind of what I see in myself so much more than I would want to truly be the case. I can be a very distracted person. If, if at any moment in time you were to open up my computer, you would discover I have about 15 things going on at once on my computer. I'm going to have like seven tabs open on the internet. I'm going to have my email from Yahoo open. I'm going to have a couple different exchanges. I'm going to have something that I'm like a Facebook event that I'm trying to put up. I'm going to have an edit that I'm trying to make to citychurchob.com. I'm going to have a couple sports related things open. Um, I'm going to have those things up. Um, Also, I'm going to have my email program 
which comes on my Mac, two or three different email exchanges that I have going on. I'm going to have a Photoshop program up, which I'm trying to do a graphic design. I'm going to have three or four other things open all at the same time, and I'm trying to do this and this and this and this and this and this, and sometimes I get lost in the distraction. And that's just the way that, unfortunately, I kind of default to in many experiences and many moments. Verse 38, the very beginning of our story, uh, I want to help defend Martha for a minute because usually what happens when we come to these passages is we see like Mary's the ideal, she's the one that we glorify, and Martha's terrible. Uh, and I think actually Martha did more good than she did bad. She got some of it wrong, and we're going to learn from her mistakes, but I think we can also learn from what she got right also. So at the very beginning of the passage, verse 38, says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Interesting. I always thought it was Mary and Martha's home. I always thought like the sisters roomed together, kind of always had that in my head. And yet in this passage this week, what I discovered is it was Martha's house. So apparently Martha's paying the mortgage. Martha's the responsible one. I don't know if Mary lives there or she just came to visit or what, but Martha actually has the house and she opened her home to Jesus. She's the one who says, Jesus, I want you to come over to my house. I want to make preparations for you. Apparently, Martha had some stuff going on. And yet, uh, this holiday season, a lot of times that we can preach this like this. Like, hey, this holiday season, you need to spend more time with Jesus. You need to be more like Mary. And pastors and people like me, we can kind of create these expectations and we increase your to-do list. And what I want to do today is not increase your to-do list. I want to reduce your to-do list. I want to take the burden off because I think that's really what we should discover in this passage is the burden is lifted rather than increased. And so what we, the mistake we can make is we come to this and, okay, you need to spend more time with Jesus. So here's what you need to do. You need to set aside time every evening with your family and you're just going to focus on the cross. And you're just going to focus on Jesus. And you're going to come to the cross. And actually, you're going to make a cross. You're going to go and you're going to cut down a tree that you planted 17 years ago. And you're going to harvest the wood from that tree. And there's a significance to your family. And you're going to bow before the cross. And then you're going to spend an hour with each one of your children. And you're going to bring an ornament that they created. And you're going to place that ornament on the tree. And that ornament connects to an Old Testament book which you've memorized. And that's what's going to really take you into God's presence this holiday season, and you say, it's impossible, and you leave church depressed and defeated, and you feel like, I'm never going to be good enough, and if we do that, we completely miss the point of this passage. This passage isn't adding to your burden of, you need to do, 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 do. This passage is relieving that burden, and say, you need to relax and spend time in the presence of Jesus. And we're going to talk about what that really looks like and how we can really do that. So nevertheless, let me come back over here and continue to defend Martha for a minute. Because the passage doesn't say that practical preparations are evil. It doesn't say that, that you who you're having family over for Christmas and you're doing 27 things to get ready for them and you've got decorations and you've got a meal plan and you've got all this stuff ready. This doesn't say you're wrong for doing that. In fact, it doesn't say that at all. We've already established that Martha practically had a house and practically paid for that house. She practically opened her home to Jesus. So this is not against practical expressions to God. What do we see throughout Scripture is many instances of God's people working hard to accomplish God's work, to build God's kingdom. So this is not an anti-work passage. This is not a, 
you just need to chill out and rest in the presence of Jesus and never do anything passage. We're going to understand exactly what it is by the time it's over. All that stuff needs to be done, and yet in the middle of it, we need to keep Christ at the center. And it's hard. It's hard for me to keep Christ at the center through any part of life, especially this time of year, but any time of life. I so often find myself getting caught up in all this other stuff that's going on and all the stuff that has to be done, and I miss Jesus. And if it's hard for me, and I get paid to keep Jesus at the center of my life, how much harder is it for the wonderful people that God has blessed me with to be a part of my church? How difficult can it be for you at times to keep Jesus at the center in the midst of all the stress and all the drama and everything else that's going on? The truth is we all have things that are competing for our time and for our focus. And if it's hard for the preacher, how much more difficult must it be for the average Christian? So I want to unburden you today. I want to help take that burden off. A lot of times we, we read this and we're like, be more like Mary. Why can't you be more like Mary? And you're like, because I have a job. I got kids. I got stuff that has to be done. I can't just be like Mary. I can't just sit at the feet of Jesus all the time. We had a student one time, this is years ago at the 662, and, uh, and she was homeschooled, and she loved Jesus. I mean, she loved Jesus. She was an incredibly young person, amazing love for God. And so she started going to public school one year. I asked her how it was going in public school, and she said, well, I hate it. I said, well, why do you hate it? And she said, well, when I was in homeschool, I could just leave my books, and anytime I wanted, I could go spend an hour with God. And I can't do that at public school. And I was like, on one hand, that's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And on the other hand, like, welcome to the real world. Like, most of us can't just say, okay, I'm going to go spend an hour with God. I'm going to leave all my responsibilities and go do that. And it's awesome when you can meet that desire. But most of us have to figure other things out and accomplish responsibilities and do things. And so I don't want to just beat you over the head, be like Mary, be like Mary. And yet it happens so easily for us to get distracted. Just this morning, I told you I was going to tell you a story from this morning. Just this morning, David Walquist comes in, and, and he comes looking for me, and he's excited to share with me the story of something that happened in his life. And there, there's a friend of his who had been caught up on drugs and who had lost her kids, and her whole life had fallen apart, and David prayed for her. And believed God to change her life. And so he comes in pumped up to tell his pastor that God had intervened. And this lady had gotten off drugs and she had got her kids back and her life's coming back together. And he's so excited. And in the middle of David trying to tell me this story, I'm trying to accomplish 17 different things to get ready to encourage you about how good God is and how God can change your life. And I'm like, well, the Christmas ornament's got to go into Main Street, and we got to do that, and i got to get the microphone from Cody, and i got to make sure that Sunday has the right verse for the offering, and i got to do this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, whoa, and I finally just caught myself and forced myself to stop and to listen and to hear this story and let this man who is so excited to share a testimony of something that God used him to do, that God answered his prayer. What an awesome thing. And yet here I am up here to tell you that God answers your prayers. And God's going to do great things in your life. And God wants to use you in the lives of the people around you. And I can't even find time to hear somebody tell me about it when it happens. We get so caught up in the distractions of life that many times we miss out on the presence of God. And a God-ordained moment can slip through our fingers so quickly so easily and I am preaching to myself this morning 
as much as anybody. So Martha invites Jesus over to her house. And then at the moment where she starts, where, where Jesus starts teaching, at the moment when Martha should say, okay, now the preparations are over. Now I'm done. Now I've done everything I can do to get ready for Jesus. Now he's here. And now I want to hear what he has to say. Now I want to connect with him. I want to just sit in his presence like Mary's doing. That's the moment where she comes in, starts fussing to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, can't you see I'm trying to cook a meal for Jesus? Can't you tell I'm trying to do something for Jesus? Tell her to do something. Tell her to get off her lazy butt and come help me. Tell her to get herself in gear. And so she says, would you please tell my sister? And this isn't the main point of our passage today, but I think it's an important one for many of us. I think it's the word of God for many of you. And that would be this, that, that God, or quit telling God what to tell Mary. And start listening to what he wants to tell you. So many times we're so good at, God, do this in so-and-so's life and show this in so-and-so's life. And those aren't bad prayers. Those are good prayers. Many times, sometimes they might be self-serving like this one was from Martha. But sometimes they're good. But that's our secondary prayer life. My primary prayer life needs to be, God, do this in me. God, show up in my life. God, I need your presence. God, I need to hear from you today. God, I need to be full of your spirit. God, I want you to speak through me today. God, I want to hear your voice. That's my primary prayer. If my primary prayer life becomes you, I've missed it. So quit spending so much time and so much energy telling Jesus what he's got to tell Mary. And start leaning in and listening to what Jesus wants to tell you. Even in this Christmas season what i mean by that is you'd be a whole lot more christ-like and a whole lot happier if you quit trying to control the response of the people around you we can't we can't control what the people around us do we can't control the way they act she goes tell mary to get in here and help me well even if mary is lazy here's the truth martha she's not your responsibility you answer to god for you you control you you can't Make things happen in Mary's life. But you're the one who's going to answer, did you spend time with Jesus? Did you listen to what Jesus had to say to you? And that's the primary responsibility for Martha. So we see in this passage that that Martha is distracted and she's worried. For all of you who are distracted and you're worried today, or maybe you're not yet, but as the season progresses and the Christmas parties start and the Christmas plays and everything really gets in motion and maybe if you get distracted... And you get worried. I want to help you to see an approach to these situations that's going to help you to refocus where it needs to be. And I just want to take my time and really unpack this for you today. I kind of wanted to rush by this and move on to the next point and dig into something else. And then I realized what a terrible irony that would be, that we would fly by a point about taking time to slow down and listen to the presence of God and move on to the next thing. So we're going to just kind of chill here for this morning. We're going to kind of take the next 10, 15 minutes and really just focus in and hone in on this idea of spending time with God, of slowing down, relaxing, and allowing God's presence to invade the busyness of our life. Verse 38 says, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Remember when Jesus was born? Remember what they couldn't find? Couldn't find any room at the end. There was no place for Jesus. What a beautiful contrast. 
that from birth there was no place for Jesus, and yet now someone is making a place for him. Someone is opening her home and saying, Jesus, I want you to come here. I'm going to have something for you. I'm going to prepare something for you. I'm going to take care of you. You're welcome at this place. But again, Martha got a lot of things right. She didn't miss it on everything. And yet, if we read into the text a little bit, it's probably because Martha was so hospitable that Jesus wanted to stay there. If you follow Jesus' ministry, you know at this point in time, he was kind of a big deal. Like, there were a lot of people following Jesus. There were a lot of people grabbing at Jesus and pulling at Jesus. And so he probably had options. This probably wasn't like his one friend that he barely really cares about, but hey, it's the only place I can stay in town, so I'm going to see if I can stop there. He had choices, and yet he chose Martha's. And why would he choose Martha's? Well, probably because she was really hospitable. Probably because she was really good at taking care of him. Probably because, man, when, when Jesus showed up, she threw out the red carpet. And she worshipped him, and she loved on him, and she took care of him. And so Jesus probably went to Martha's for a pretty good reason. And so for you, if you just want to take care of your family this Christmas season, you want to make moments to make memories and to create pictures and the, to create things that, that your kids can hold on to, I don't want to tell you that, that you're wrong for that. I don't want to sit here and tell you that there's something off in that. I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. It's a good thing. Just make sure that, that it stays at the priority level that it needs to be. Verse 39. says, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. What a key phrase. Listening to what he said. This is one of those passages that you can read a hundred times and kind of miss the, the entire point of it, I think. See, when the first few times that I came to this passage, and what I've kind of always thought of this is it's a passage about doing less, right? Like Jesus gives credit to the one who's doing nothing, and he puts down or criticizes the one who's doing everything. And so you can read this passage and say, okay, I just don't need to do so much. I need to unburden myself and unbusy myself. And, and that's maybe one surface level, but I don't think that's the deep point of what's going on here. Then the, the next level we can maybe see is that it's about priorities. It's not about not being busy. It's just about making sure that the most important thing stays the most important thing and spending time with Jesus. And I think there's some truth to that. I think there's a deeper truth here, but I think there's even a, a greater point, a deeper point that really is what this passage gets about. And that's this. I believe that, that a lot of times we see productivity and the presence of God as mutually exclusive. I think a lot of times we think that I can either accomplish my to-do list or I can spend time with Jesus. And I don't think they're enemies of each other. In fact, I think that when I have this, it gives me greater success in this. When I'm in God's presence, when I prioritize his presence, when I come to him first and I ask him to fill me and empower me, I'm going to go out and get all this stuff done so much with, with an uncluttered mind, with a focus, with an ability to prioritize and see this is what needs to be done and an ability to get people on my side and on my team because I'm not stressed and I'm not freaking out because I'm full of the presence of God. And so I don't think it's either you can be productive or you can have the presence. I think it's if you have the presence, you will be productive. Because while they're out scripture, we see the people who are closest to God are the ones who are accomplishing great things for his kingdom. But they don't go out and accomplish something so they can have the presence. They come into his presence and he empowers them to accomplish something. And so what I really believe this passage is about is about prioritizing the presence of God. It's about seeing that I come to Jesus first. He's going to empower me to be more effective at work. When I come to Jesus first, he's going to be empower me to be more effective as I welcome guests, as I have people come over to my house, as I go to the Christmas party and I do all this stuff and I have to put all these things together. 
I got to have the presence of God. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Everybody say one thing. One thing is needed. What's the one thing? It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. The one thing that's needed is the presence of Jesus. Jesus says you're all worried about your turkey and your ham and all the stuff you're trying to get ready. And understand, Martha didn't even have Pinterest. Martha didn't even have Facebook. She didn't have social media. If she was distracted and she was worried and she had too much going on 2,000 years ago, how much more would Jesus tell us today? You're caught up in all the stuff that doesn't matter. You just need one thing. One thing is needed. That's not to say there's not other things that need to be done. That's not to say that there's not other things that need to be accomplished. But he's saying if you have the one thing, you're going to get the rest. You seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things are going to be added to you. you got to get the one thing. So he says, Martha, you need to see that you're worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is needed. At some point, you've got to draw a line, and you've got to say this. This is what I'm challenging all of us to do this Christmas season. You've got to ultimately say that I'm not going to let anything that will ultimately mean nothing keep me from the one thing that means everything. I will not let anything... That will ultimately mean nothing. I'm not going to let that new video game that I'm trying to bust my tail for to work extra overtime to buy for my kid because that's the one thing on their Christmas list. That means nothing because they're going to have a new one six months down the road and forget all about it. I'm not going to let that thing that means nothing keep me from the one thing that means everything. Doesn't mean you can't get your kid the video game. Doesn't mean you can't get caught up in that stuff and you can't get, provide nice things for your family. But it means the one thing comes before any of the other things. And I'm not going to sacrifice my presence of God. I'm not going to sacrifice my time with him. I'm not going to give that up to provide any of this other stuff. But I'm going to come to him and allow him to fill me and empower me to go out and accomplish stuff that really doesn't mean as much. And I'd add this, that God's presence is not only to be found when you come here once a week, but God's presence is to be found any time that we press into him. James 4.8 says that when I draw near to God, he draws near to me. And so if you will simply press into him, if you're a Christian, he already lives in you. He's already there. We're just so oblivious to him most of the time. And so if you'll simply give him place and become aware of his presence and allow him to, to speak to you and listen into what he has to say, you're going to have his presence in the middle of whatever you're going through. What's amazing is that Mary chose what was better. You know what Jesus told Mary? He says, or told Martha, he said, Mary chose what was better. And it will not be taken away from her. What an awesome promise. God's presence, when you choose God's promise, when you choose God's presence, that can never be taken away from you. When you choose to press into God's presence, that'll never be destroyed. All this other stuff, man, it can be taken away. The Christmas party can be taken away. A family member can die. The Christmas present can be stolen. All that stuff can fade. The Christmas lights can burn out. All that stuff can go away. But the one thing that can never be lost, and Jesus promises it never will be, is if you prioritize my presence, I will not take that away from you. Mary chose what was better. Here's what I believe. Ultimately, I believe you can choose what controls you. You can choose what controls you. And I believe that you need to proactively determine that I'm going to choose what controls me this Christmas season. Some of you need to tell your credit card that you're in control and not it. Some of you need to 
Take the scissors and control your credit card that way because you're piling up debt to buy gifts for people that you don't even really like, but you got to go to their house and you want to impress them. And it's like, why? Why are you doing this to yourself? How can you show love to somebody with something that you purchased when purchasing it puts so much stress on you and such a burden on you that you can't properly love anybody? And you think that that gift is going to do something. Some of you just need to sit down with your kids and say, look, I'm giving you time for Christmas this year. That's what you're getting. You're getting my time. And some of your kids are like, we are never going to this church again. <laughs> I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I just heard it from somebody. But some of you, you're so deep in debt. You just need to sit them down and say, look, I'm, I love you and I want to give you the best. I can't do that this year. But I'm going to give you my time and we're going to make the greatest memories there ever was. Now, let me say, side note, this does not apply to husbands. <laughs> Buy your wife a gift, Okay. Uh, if, you get, if you give your wife time for Christmas, I'm going to have to give you marital counseling for New Year's. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Get your wife a Christmas present. Doesn't apply to husbands. Everybody else, you need to say, look, and maybe you're not in that place. Maybe you're in a great place financially. Bless people. Be generous, please. But don't just give in that because, hey, society says i got to get this gift and this gift. And my kids saw this ad and their friends are getting this, that I've got to do this, 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 and this. And you're working 80-hour weeks and you don't even see your kid for four weeks so you can give them one gift on December 25th that they're not even going to use by January 25th. What a shame that we've bought into that lie. And I'm not saying don't buy gifts. I love gifts. I praise God for gifts. But what I'm saying is we've got to get it. In order, we've got to get our priorities straight. We've got to understand what's important. Mary chose what was better, and she said, I'm not going to let anything else control me. I'm not going to let Martha's expectations control me. Understand this. If she'd have given in to Martha's expectations, I guarantee you they were sisters. Mary knew Martha was frustrated with her. Mary knew Martha had already made a bunch of comments about, well, this isn't going to get done, and what about the mashed potatoes, and we need to get the punch, and all this stuff. Mary knew all this, and yet, even with Martha's expectations, what did she do? She said, I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus, because it's more important. She chose what was better. You can choose what's better. You don't have to give in to the expectations of a messed up society. You don't have to give in to the expectations of your family, to your parents or your in-laws. You've got to decide what's better for you, and you can choose what controls you. Just to go into my own story a little bit. You know how many Christmas presents my parents got me that I actually remember? I'm 33, almost 34 years old, and I started thinking about this this week. And I guarantee you, I mean, my parents, we got gifts every year, like 15, 20 gifts every year. We were blessed. And you know how many of those gifts I could tell you right now off the top of my head? Like four? Like 95% of the stuff my parents got me I have no recollection of. And the four things I remember were the terrible gifts, the ones that I hated. See, what happens at the, at the Souden household for Christmas is you have what, what happens when a person with a gifts love language who doesn't understand her kids comes to Christmas. And so my mom, we love her to death. Thank you so much for her, God. She's got no clue what to get somebody for Christmas. And so she would get you stuff and you would open it and just be like, really? <laughs> and the worst part is she, she wasn't like laughing. It wasn't like she's this, you know, prankster and these are all gag gifts. Like, I respect that. But... She, like, legitimately thought we would want all these things. And it's like, really, Mom? Really? Uh, but you know what? I don't remember most of the gifts. We got some good gifts, too. Don't get me wrong. Dad got some gifts, and those were great gifts. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for Dad. Uh, but we, I don't remember most of that. Here's what I remember. 
I remember dad reading the Christmas story every Christmas Eve, straight from the Bible. I remember us getting the Christmas ornaments and decorations out every year after Thanksgiving and decorating the house. I remember mom putting on Christmas music and us singing carols while we did it. I remember sitting down in front of the TV and watching Charlie Brown Christmas. Man, and, and I remember watching as Linus makes the great declaration about Jesus and this baby who came to the world to save us. I remember those things. I remember every Christmas day after Christmas dinner was over. And I remember Christmas dinner too, by the way. But I remember after Christmas dinner was over, we'd always go and see a movie. So if you're the kid who's stuck working at the movie theater on Christmas, we're the family that, that, that it's our fault. I'm sorry. But we would always go see a movie on Christmas. And I couldn't tell you any of the movies we saw. But I remember going with my family. See, the things that I remember about Christmas aren't the presents, but the things I remember are the things that we did as a family and the things we did with Jesus. I remember going to candlelight services. I remember coming into God's presence and worshiping the king who came for us. Those are the memories that I have from Christmas. And I don't think I'm that much different than probably anybody else in this room. I bet if we went around, most of us who were adults would say, I don't remember that many gifts but I remember a lot of the stuff we did. I remember the people I was with. I remember the people that we celebrated with. I remember the God who was in our lives. And those are the things that are going to carry out for your kids. So don't let society's expectations dictate what you're going to have to do. Tell your family, we're not going to be controlled by the things that want to control us. We're going to be in control. Great thing is you don't ever have to go to Wolf Chase this year if you don't want to. Some of you don't need to go to Wolf Chase. You go to Wolf Chase and you have violent thoughts, and if you played those out, you're starting a prison ministry. You just need to stay away from Wolf Chase. Uh, but you don't have to go. You don't have to be controlled by the expectations around you. We're almost done, guys. Almost there. You want to choose in every situation the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ. When you're driving in traffic and there's three million more cars out there than there should be because everybody's Christmas shopping and they're all late, Prioritize the presence of Christ. You need the presence of Christ in that moment. Don't get in that road rage. Don't lose your temper. Don't lose your control. Don't say things you don't, you're going to regret. Don't run somebody off the road. Prioritize the presence of Jesus. It means when you're in a situation where there's tension, that you choose forgiveness and grace instead of rehashing the stuff that somebody did to hurt you in the past. You can choose what controls you this Christmas. You don't have to be pulled into the negativity. I don't have to be controlled by what Martha expects. We are in control through the power of God, and we can choose his presence. Now, teenagers, let me say this. Picking on the kids today. Sorry, y'all. Don't use this as an excuse to not do your homework the next two weeks before school gets out for Christmas. I'm just doing what Pastor Troy said. I'm sitting in the feet of Jesus. I ain't got time for algebra, y'all. I'm a Jesus, right? Don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. Stuff still has to get done. You still got to clean your room. Things still have to be accomplished. Dad's still going to work to keep the lights on. Praise God for that. Mom's still doing what she's doing to provide for you. Praise God for that. I'm not saying not to do anything. What I'm saying is to prioritize God's presence as you go, as you do things. Limit what you can to relieve the pressure of the things that you can't control. I'll close with a story. A couple weeks ago, I picked on the 662 at lunch today. I'm going to tell you a cool story about the 662. A few Wednesdays ago, we had an outreach night, and we went out to some local gas stations. And the thing that we had set up was for us to go 
uh, in teams. And as a car pulled in, we would ask them, hey, can I wash your windows? Uh, and as they pumped their gas, then we'd say, hey, is there anything we could pray with you about? So we go out, and we're at this one gas station, and there's about eight students there, and Miss Jenny and myself. And we're doing well. We're having great success. Kids are praying with people. Everything's going great. And then one car pulls up. And this car, this woman was just angry. She was just rude. And, and one student, we had one student meet him at the door, so then I, like, mobbed by a whole bunch of people. And so the one student met her, and she was like, I don't want it. I don't want to hear what you, like, she just cut her off right away. And it was, it was pretty rough. And, you know, I've been talked to by my students' parents worse than that before. So I was okay. But for this girl, like, this was a crushing moment. Like, she's out showing the love of Jesus, maybe for the first time doing an outreach like this. And this was, like, heartbreaking. She's like, why would you talk to me like that? What are we doing? It's, it's pretty rough, like, dramatic moment, right? So in the midst of all this stuff that we can't control, we can control this woman's reaction. We can control her response. What do we do? We prioritized the presence of Jesus. I grabbed the students around. I said, look, just because you can't pray with her doesn't mean you can't pray for her. And we're going to pray for this woman. We don't know what she's going through. We don't know what she found out today. We don't know what she's in the middle of. We're not going to worry about how she talked to us. We're not going to worry about the way that, that she maybe dishonored us or, or hurt your feelings. We're going to press into God's presence. We're going to believe God to bless this woman. So the students gather around, and they start praying, and they start believing God to do something in this woman's life. And in the midst of that, God's presence begins to fill us. And, and lo and behold, we get done praying, and we start talking, and we're laughing, and spirits are kind of picking up. And a minivan pulls up on the, the next set of pumps, and we didn't really realize it when the minivan first pulled up. But then we saw them, and by the time we saw them, the, it was actually a 15-year-old boy who had gotten out of the car, and he was pumping gas for mom. Mom was driving. And so he's pumping gas, and they're like, well, should we still go over there and ask to wash his windows? And I'm kind of thinking, they just need a break. Like, they had, like, a rough moment. We're just going to take, take a couple minutes off, and then we'll get the next car, not worry about it. And yet, this car, like, they had a dog. And the dog gets up in the, the passenger window and starts, like, the happiest little bark at us. Like, not like a, I hate you, get out of here bark, but like, why aren't you playing with me, right? Uh, and so we're like, all right, it looks like a friendly family. Let's just go over there. We'll see if we can pray with them. So we walk over, and, we, and we, the woman rolls down her window, and she's got the biggest smile on her face. And I guarantee you God sent her for us in that moment because they needed to pick me up. And she's like, hey, what's going on? And we told her what we were doing. And I said we could pray with her. And she's like, absolutely. I need you to pray for my son's grades. I need to pray for a couple other things. Uh, but she said, we're looking for a church. What church are you guys with? And so we told her about City Church. And I, they actually came to church last Sunday. Um, and we got to pray with them. And it was just this, this beautiful moment. And it never would have happened if we would have allowed the stress and the craziness of this thing that we couldn't control with this negative experience with this first woman, if we would have just let that happen, I guarantee you that, and, and not got together and got God's presence, if we would have just went to the next car just like normal, we probably would have been stressed, and we wouldn't have been happy, and we wouldn't have looked like we were there to minister, and this person probably wouldn't have received us right. But because we took a moment, in the midst of everything else that's going around, said, you know what, we're going before the Lord. And we went before the Lord and we asked him to come and to strengthen us and to encourage us. And we asked him to bless this woman who was not very nice to us. The very next thing that happened was this huge blessing and encouragement from God. And I'm telling you, I don't know what stress you're going to face the next three weeks. I don't know what you're going to go through. But I know that God wants to go through it with you. And if you'll prioritize his presence, he's going to come and he's going to help you to not just survive it 
but to thrive in it. We didn't just survive the next 15 minutes of that outreach and come home. We actually had the greatest experience that we had had that whole night, in fact, of any probably youth outreach we've done in years. The most incredible testimony, this awesome moment happened because we made prime and we made room for the presence of Jesus. I don't know who this message is for today, but I think it's for a lot of people in this room. Because I think over the next few weeks, a lot of us are going to face a lot of junk and a lot of worry and a lot of expectation and a lot of pressure that I've got to meet this. And when you find yourself in that moment, you find somebody who does something that you can't control and you don't like that experience, take a time out and get alone with Jesus. And just say, God, I just need you right now. I need your presence. I don't know how to react to this. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to get through this. And I don't just want to survive it. I want to thrive for your glory in it. I want to be used by you through this experience to touch somebody else's life. And if you'll do that, I promise you he'll show up. When you draw near to him, he draws near to you. And when that happens, you don't just survive. You maximize the opportunity that God gives you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much.